open our Bibles to the book of Job, the third chapter. We began this study Wednesday night. We taught the first and second chapter of the book of Job. And the first and second chapter had to do with Job in the hands of Satan. Verses three through, I mean, chapters 3 through 37 have to do with Job in the hands of his friends. It's a whole lot better in some instances. And then we find chapters 38, I believe it is, through uh, 42, Job in the hands of God. We're going to deal with Job in the hands of his friends, and Job begins to answer or complain about his problems in the third chapter. You know, Job had many trials. We all have trials. Peter said that the trial of your faith is much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Paul said that we through much tribulation should enter into the kingdom of God. The pathway of a Christian is not always easy. Trials have their purpose in a person's life, and far as Job is concerned, there was a kind of a two cross purposes, the divine side of it and the satanic side of it. From Satan's point of view, Satan could not believe that a man would serve God without profit, benefit, and for naught, he says, will Job serve God for naught? And in many cases, he was right. Job staggered under his trials and temptations. Jesus did not. Men will overcome by faith. You know, uh, John tells us that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. God was using all of this to cause Job to see himself, actually. There's one purpose that God was permitting this to happen. And he just wanted Job to see inside of himself. We said last week, or last lesson, that Job was a righteous man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And uh, the only problem with Job was that he knew it. It's all right to be that way, but just don't know it. Just don't realize that. So Job knew that he was righteous. It's all right to be righteous, but just don't think too much of it. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And and Job just needed to be humbled in the sight of God. And and not in the sight of his friends, not in the, not before Satan, because God declared before the devil, before, before Satan, that Job was a righteous man, uh, true and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. When we think of the nature of Job's uh, trials, the character of his troubles were the worst kind. There were no half measures about it. Every separate trial was... Uh, a complete catastrophe. I mean, it was to the very depths of loss. It was loss of property, lost everything. He had loss of family. All of his children died at one time. A loss of health. A loss of position. He was the greatest of all men. Now he is the poorest. And he sat in an ash heap covered from the top of his head to the sole of his feet in sore balls. And really, there was a loss of sympathy. No one had any concern about it. In fact, his wife said, curse God and die. And his friends come along and stare him in the face for seven days and seven nights and spake not a word, it says in the last verse of the second chapter. But he still stayed close to the Lord. No murmur of Job about God. No complaining against God. Job, though he was not a prophet, was spoken of as an example of sufferings. Uh, James, James said, you've seen the patience of Job. You've heard of the patience of Job and you've seen the end of the Lord. And he used him as an example of sufferings. So we get to the third chapter and we find that Job 
uh, is answering all of his complaints, or at least complaining about uh, his condition. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Job very near fulfilled the prediction of Satan, didn't he? You know, uh, uh, the devil says if you take away everything that he has, he will curse God to his face. And Job just very near did that. He cursed his day, but he did not curse his God, did he? He was giving vent to the agonies of his soul here in this third chapter. It says, And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. He was really cursing his day, wasn't he? He just rather, you know, he didn't want to be alive. He just wished he had never been born. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined into the days of the year. I don't want it to even be on the calendar, he says. Let it not come into the number of the months. Just make it extinct. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. So he's complaining about his condition. But he's still not cursing God. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light and have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. In other words, he's cursing the day of his conception and the day of his birth. And he says in verse 11, uh, well, in verse 10, Because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet, I should have slept. Then I had been at rest. He had never been born, he says. With kings and counselors of the earth, which build desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold, who filled their houses with silver, if they were not here. In verse 16, Or as a hidden, untimely birth I had not been, as infants, infants which never saw light. How foolish it was for Job to so complain. I wish he had uh, been stillborn. That when he was born, he wouldn't have been alive. That he'd been dead at birth. Verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. In other words, he says, in the grave, you don't find any of these problems that I'm faced with. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. And in verse 20, he begins to ask why. He says, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery? He says, why does God even give me light? And he says, and life unto the bitter of soul. Why does light come to the one that's the bitter of soul? It's long for death, but it cometh not. Dig, it, dig for it more than for hid treasures. Job was just really down, wasn't he? He says, I just wish I'd never been born. I wish... Uh, I'd never been conceived. I wish, I'd, even if that were true, that I would have died uh, when I was born. That I would have been stillborn. And he says, why does God give life and life to one that's in such misery 
and in such bitterness of soul. Cometh for death, verse 21. But it cometh not, and dig for it more than hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? God has hedged him in. God protected him. And he seemed to be hedged in into all the uh, conditions in which God would see fit to turn him over to Satan. And though God had given him life and God had sustained him all this time, yet he was uh, given uh, over to Satan's uh, will. Way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in. For my singing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is coming to me. There's a lot of things to be learned in that verse, in that statement. He said, I feared a fear that came upon me. Have you ever heard people start uh, contemplating on what might happen to them? Don't do that. This very well might. Just take it a day at a time and thank God for the day. Don't worry about tomorrow. People say, well, they anticipate a thousand troubles. Well, if you, if you get enough, enough of them before you, maybe one of them will happen. So just don't anticipate them. You know, Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil error. He said, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. Think about that. Job was a wealthy man. He had all of the blessings of God. And he had a nice family, seven sons and three daughters. And uh, all the possessions. And he was good to everybody. And uh, later on it finds that he says that I made the widow's heart to sing for joy. Evidently he was very generous to those in need. He had one secret or hidden fear in his heart that someday he would lose it all. And that catastrophe and tragedy would come. And sure enough it did. Look for it. Let it happen if it does. Don't anticipate it. Don't even think about it. Some people say, well, what are you going to do if this happens? Well, I don't know. If that happens, it may not happen. I'm hoping it doesn't. Ninety percent of our fears never come to us. So why should we anticipate it? That's why I don't want, want to uh, get these people that tell your future involved with me. I don't want to know it. I'll take it a day at a time. You know, you've got these advertisements on the TV. You know, we're the real psychics. Don't fool with those uh, celebrity type of psychics. They'll tell you all about it. Someone says, well, they can tell you what all is going to happen. I don't want to know. They can keep them. I'm sure not going to pay them to know. And uh, just leave them alone. Jesus said, be not over anxious. Take no thought for the Mars. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So take it a day at a time and thank God for life and health and strength, for food on the table, for a roof over your head, for clothes upon your back, for the privilege and comforts of, of life that you have and the blessings of life. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is coming to me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. He says it came. It came unexpectedly. Now, when you get to fourth chapter, you have Eliphaz. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we assay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? Now, this is the first of 
the three comforters that come to Job. His first one is Eliphaz, and the other one is Bildad, and the next one is Zophar. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. You find them in chapter 2, verse 11, when his three friends come to comfort him. And in the 13th verse of the second chapter, they sit and stare at him for seven days and nights, and they think, oh, golly, now what are we going to say? This is our dear friend, Job. What are we going to say to this man? You know, we've got to reason out what, we've got to figure out what caused his problem. They think they have the answer. And this Eliphaz is the voice of experience. He, he wants to tell all about what he knows by experience that happened to Job. And he's really got the answer. And it says in verse uh, 2, if, if we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? In other words, he says, we have a lot of things to say to you, Job, but we just don't know how you're going to take it. And he, begin, he begins very tenderly, doesn't he? So now, Job, don't take this wrong. Have you ever had friends that come to you and they can quote Scripture and just exactly define your condition? Well, now, some, the Scripture's true. There's no question about God's Word, is it? But maybe it doesn't apply to the individual. I've had people quote Scriptures to me. Now, Brother Joyce, you know the Bible says. I said, sure it does. I believe the Bible. But I think you're using it in the wrong way. You're, you're taking it as a, as a way of being judgmental toward me. And that just happens not... I'm just happen not to be guilty of what you're saying. That's all. I know that there are some that are... Possibly it applies to someone around the world. I'm sure it has its application, but it doesn't fit my situation. That's what, that's what was wrong with their, their dealing with Job. It says, Who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many and hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that uh, was falling, uh, and thou hast strengthened the feeble uh, knees. He says, You were once rich, and you were once... Uh, 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 instructive to others and helped others. But he says in verse 5, But now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It's happened to you, and you faint. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. says, Job, once it was like that, but now look at you. Look at your situation. It's not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and, thy, and the uprightness of thy ways. Now, verse 7 and 8 shows you the philosophy of Eliphaz. Notice verse 7 and 8. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. He says, I've seen. Look at that word, I have seen. That means the voice of experience. You know, I've seen this happen to people, and I know they're reaping what they've sown. Well, the Bible does say, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But the philosophy of Eliphaz was that the righteous are preserved from disaster. And such disaster only comes to the wicked. And therefore, Eliphaz does not, uh, he says, God does not punish the righteous, so Job must be unrighteous. It's philosophy. Job, you have to be unrighteous now because God just doesn't punish the righteous. Friends, cannot be charged with hardness of heart or impure motives. I'm sure that they felt like they were doing the right thing. But their weakness and their sin lay in their self-confidence. They thought they really had it figured out. And each one of them, we're beginning here with Eliphaz, the voice of experience, 
each one of them thought that he was uh, laying his finger on the, the cause of Job's downfall. And we see in their reasonings the utter inability of the wisdom of this world to understand the mysteries of the children of God and the experiences of the children of God and of Christian people. A lot of Christian people, a lot of godly people that suffer terribly in this life. And every once in a while you'll have some uh, legalistic or a voice of experience or voice of legalism or the voice of, of uh, tradition come along and tell the preacher will stand up and he said, now look folks, this is why this come upon you. I'll guarantee you it wouldn't have happened then. Well, they don't know. They don't know. It won't happen to that preacher that's standing up there saying that anyway. Because we don't know. We don't understand the mysteries of God's dealings with His children. The Apostle Paul, the most wonderful apostle of the New Testament, wrote more books than anyone else, spent most of his life in, in a cell, in a prison cell. If you put that classification on <clears throat> upon the ministry today, you'd say, well, he must not have been any good. God wouldn't have permitted it. That would be the voice of, of experience and the voice of legalism and the voice of trying to be judgmental about people today. You know, that preacher, he, something must be wrong with him. He wouldn't have ended up that way. Well, it doesn't. You, you can't make all things square. You have to understand that God permits certain things to happen. <clears throat> they happen for a reason. <clears throat> he accuses Job of impatience. And he asserts that no innocent men ever perished. And that wicked, uh, that the wicked are afflicted for their sins. It's because of their sins that this has happened. Look, look at his philosophy. The voice of experience. Verse uh, 7 and 8. Remember, I pray thee. Now, this is experience. Whoever perished being innocent or where uh, were the righteous cut off? And he says, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. His motto was, I have seen. And then he says, by the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lion are broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. He's telling him what power God has to bring all these things to pass, and how that Job, Job you know, uh, God can do anything. Well, Job knew that. Job knew that. They weren't telling him anything he didn't know. And then he says in verse 12, he, he's going to rehearse his experience. He says, now a thing was secretly wrought to me. I want to tell you of my experience. This is what I know. Now this happened to me. This is the voice of Eliphaz. Uh, and mine ear received a little thereof. You know, I've learned a little by my experiences, he's saying. I'll tell you, I've got had this experience and... And you know, God spoke to me directly. Listen, He spoke to me in a vision. Look at it. In thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. In other words, this terrible vision that I had, all my bones were shaking. And then what does He say? He says, Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. You ever heard that saying, His hair stood upon ends? That's where it comes from. He says, it was so scary, a spirit passed before my face. It stood still, verse 16, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. He says, I saw this image. Well, what was it all about? Well, this was my experience, Job. Now, listen, I'll tell you, out of my experience, I've learned that this happens to people. And, you know, 
I'm going to tell you my, about my experience. If you've ever had many people come now, look, Brother Joyce, I don't know if you've had the experience I had, but I had this experience, and this is what happened to me. And I saw this vision. You know, I had this vision. And I saw this image. And then out of this uh, real, fantastic, mysterious setting, I learned a lot from God. He says, I learned a little bit. Look there in verse uh, uh, 12. And mine ear received a little thereof. He said, I learned a little about this. He said, now I'm telling you from experience, a spirit passed before me, the hair of my flesh stood up, it stood still, verse 16, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence. And I heard, I heard. First he says, I've seen. Now, now he says, I've heard. I heard the voice saying, shall mortal man be more just than God? And shall uh, a man be more pure than his maker? Punish evildoers and so does God. He's telling Job, I learned this. I learned this in this experience. And so God is, you know, that's probably why you're in this situation, Joe. Because God punishes evildoers. You must be one. You just got to be one of them because this wouldn't happen to you otherwise. Some comfort. Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. <clears throat> they are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. He says, now I learned all this in my experience. That this is what God does. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. And in chapter 5, he continues his speech to Job. Look in verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Call now if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints wilt thou turn? Job, who you're going to tur turn to? He says, call. Do you have an answer? Job didn't have, have an answer. He says, call now if there, be, if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints wilt thou turn? Can you imagine this was opportunity for Job to interrupt and say, look, Eliphaz, what you're saying, some of it may be well and good, but it just doesn't apply to me. I don't think it fits my case. I have... Folks come along and they just figure out exactly what's wrong with you. Brother, they got it figured out right down to the teeth. It's the voice of experience, you know. The voice of experience. You know, some might say, well, Brother Joyce, how do you know you're putting the right uh, interpretation or setting about these three friends? I'll, I'll show you why. Look at the last chapter and here's what God says about them. Look at chapter 42 and verse 7. <clears throat> because God said they hadn't spoken right. That's why I know. Chapter 42, the very end of the book, and verse 7 says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. What does God say? My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job had. You haven't spoken that which is right. As Job has. And he rebuked these three friends of Job for not speaking right concerning Job. And so we come back to chapter 5 now. We can see that we're, we're on the right track in, in understanding that these fellows were just talking to Job out of their own heart and thinking, well, now, you know, there's a certain element of truth here. And, and you know, Job must be guilty 
Because God doesn't punish the righteous, and if Job, that means he's unrighteous. And he has it all figured out, you know. And it says in chapter 5, verse 2, For wrath killeth the foolish, and envy slayeth the silly one. seems to be trying to state Job's situation. He seems to be trying to find out and state in terms the situation Job has said. Look at chapter uh, 5, verse 3. Again, you have the voice of experience. I have seen... You have those three words? You ought to cross or circle the words. I have seen and I have heard. And you know I had this experience in chapter 4 and 5. Look here. 5, verse 3. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them, none to deliver his children. Well, now, he knew very well that God had permitted some way for all the children. When the house fell in the wilderness, the trouble from the wilderness came. Remember in chapter uh, 1, chapter 1, and verse... uh, 19, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and fell upon the young men. They are, they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. In other words, his family was killed when this great windstorm came from the wilderness, probably like a tornado or hurricane or something. But anyway, it destroyed all of his family. And so they knew all of this. Now in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 4, <clears throat> his children are far from safety. And they are crushed in the gate, neither is there any to deliver them. Whose harvest the hungry eateth up, and taketh it even out of the thorns. Remember the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and all came and they took everything he had. And the robber swalloweth up their substance. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Job that his affliction is no accident. It didn't happen. Job, all this was not just accidental that all this affliction came. Seven. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And though that is true, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Yet, he says in verse eight, I would seek unto God and unto God would I commit my cause. He advised Job to turn to God. (laughs) He said, Job, now if you would just turn to God, Things have turned around. What God said about Job? He said, Job, he said to Satan that Job is is a perfect and upright and one that feareth God and escheweth evil, shuns evil. He says, have you considered, he said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the whole earth. And here are these three friends, and this one says, Job, now all you need to do is repent. How many times have you heard that when you were in trouble? Now look. Preacher, or brother, or sister, if you just repent and turn to God, you wouldn't be in this trouble. You wouldn't have this affliction. It's good advice for a fellow that needs to repent. But it's not too good of advice for a man that's trying to live a Christian life and be as godly as he can and humble himself before God day by day and say, God, guide my life, and still problems come and trouble comes. Not too good advice under those circumstances, is it? He said, I would... I would seek God unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. He says, Job, this is the advice I would give you. And then he begins to show about God's greatness. He says, which, uh, God which doeth great things, look here in verse 9, 
and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields to set upon high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the forward is carried headlong. Now, Job knew all this. Job knew there was no question about the greatness of God. Eliphaz was not in Job's position. So it was rather easy for him to give advice, wasn't it? You know, if Eliphaz had been where Job was, the advice wouldn't have come so easy. Not in his position. Walk in the other man's shoes a while, and then you'll maybe you can give him the advice. The Lord alone knew all the reasons why this dark day for Job had come. God only knew, and God permitted it. Verse 14, They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope in the noonday as in the night, even though it is dark, even though it is daytime, they're in darkness. He saveth the poor from the sword, from their, and uh, it says, from their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. Be reproved of God is a comforting evidence of his love and care, and so we find that uh, Eliphaz mentions the chastening of the Lord. 16. So the poor hath hope, and iniquities uh, stoppeth her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. He says, Job, if you would just only take God's uh, correction, everything would be all right. It's true, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It's in the book of Hebrews. Uh, every son who is who goes to this chastening and understands God's dealing with him, God deals with you as with sons, will profit by it. But on the other hand, he's telling Job that if you would only take God's correction, you'd be all right. In verse 18, For he maketh sore and bindeth up, he woundeth, and his hands uh, make whole. Shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. I want to read a verse of scripture for you. It says this: For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. So God does deliver. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. In famine he shall redeem thee from death, and in war from the power of the sword. Thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue, neither shalt thou be afraid of the destruction when it cometh. By the way, you know, a lot of things that Eliphaz said were true, but they just didn't apply to Job's case. You see, that's the only problem. Sometimes we take the Scripture and we try to apply it to individuals when we better let the Holy Spirit do the apply and we do the preaching. Had Eliphaz just uh, preached the Word and just come out with the Word of God, then whatever Job needed of this word, would he, the Holy Spirit would apply it to his own heart. Verse 22. At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh, neither shalt thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with thee. And thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace, and thou shalt visit thy habitation, and shalt not sin. It says in verse 25. 
Thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great, and thine offspring is grass of the earth. Thou shalt come to thy grave in full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in his season. Lo, this, we have searched it, so it is. Hear it, and know it, and know thou it for thy good. Job, you need to know all of this for your own good. So now listen, if you'll just listen to what I've said, be for your own good. So you think of the motives of these three friends. If you would go right down to it, maybe they really had a, a, a good intention of helping Job and they wanted to just really fit him into certain situations and they wanted to try to solve his problem. But they didn't have the answer, did they? Chapter 6 and verse 1, But Job answered. Now here's Job's answer. He answers in chapter 6 and... Uh, Chapter 7, he answers. And then we have the voice of, the, of Bildad in chapter 8. But Job answers, and he begins his answer. But Job answers and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. I wish you had the answer to my problem. I wish you knew all about how to make a, come to a judgment. Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances. Paul speaks of judgment, of man's judgment and of God's judgment. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3 through 5. Paul is speaking of those in the Corinthian church that would judge him. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 5. Paul says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. That's much what Job was saying. <laughs> judged of you are of man's judgment. And he says, yea, I judge not mine own self. I don't even know how to judge myself. He says, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. He says, I'm not going to be judged of you or of man's judgment because you don't know my situation. That's much like Job. And he says, I don't even judge myself. I don't thoroughly understand it. But he says, the one that judgeth me is the Lord. Now look at verse 5. <clears throat> Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of, uh, counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. In other words, leave it up to the proper time and the proper judge. And that's the future. When people talk to me about someone's condition, whether they're saved or lost, I say, I don't know. They say, well, he was wicked. He's bound to be lost. Well, I don't know. I've heard preachers preach funerals and they'll preach a person right into hell or into heaven. Ever heard that? I've heard be a a family grieving over the loss of a son, maybe that's committed suicide and got on drugs or something, and they say, oh, well, I'm, on, I'm telling you young people this so you'll stay out of hell. Well, how do you know, friend? Well, now, it happened, and there's a lot of things, and, you know, all the outward circumstances look like the person probably was not a Christian, but he, he could have been, you know, you don't know what happened in his heart and soul, and you don't know whether he's justified in the sight of God or not. And by the way, just because a man is worse off in sin than someone else doesn't mean that he's a worse sinner than anyone else in the sight of God because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Don't preach a person into heaven or into hell. And don't be judgmental as to say this one went to hell or this one went to heaven. Because we don't know. All proper and true judgment is with God. And he says, Job chapter 6 and verse 1, But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. He said, I wish you fellows had an answer. I wish that they were to be dealt with according to justice, according to what was really true. <clears throat> in verse uh, 3, I said verse 1, but verse 1 and 2 is so close together in my Bible, it's verse 2, really, that I was reading. Because the way it's written, it's just, it doesn't have, the word but is where it says, uh, num- uh, chapter, uh, verse 1, it says, but Job answered and said, and then you have verse 2, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed. And I've been saying verse 1. Okay, verse 3, For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. The arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Dealings never miss their mark. The wild ass bray when he hath grass, or, or loweth the ox over his fodder. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? You have to salt anything. And he says, or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Have you ever tried that? Job is bringing all these things into question, isn't he? He says, can you eat something that's not seasoned, you know, doesn't taste very good without a little bit of salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? Things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful meat. So that I might have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for. Even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. He wanted God to take his life. He thought death was the answer to his problem. Then should I have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. At least Job was true to the word of God, wasn't he? It says in verse 11, What is my strength that I should hope, and what is mine end that I should prolong my life? The state of my body and soul preclude all hope. He just didn't have any hope for body or soul. What is my strength that I should hope, and what is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh of brass? He was not insensible to the sufferings that he had and the affliction that he had. He says, is my strength of stones, is my flesh of brass? I can feel what's happening to me. I'm flesh and bones. I'm not brass. I'm not stone. Is not my help in me? And is wisdom driven quite from me? You know, if someone tells you of your wrongdoing so long, finally you might get to believe in it. And these people were, uh, this fellow Eliphaz was just so bent on telling Job that he was, you know, and he was sinful, he was not righteous, he needed to turn to God, he needed to repent. And Job, this just couldn't happen to you if everything was right with God. That Job was finally, he says, look, is not my help in me and is, my, is wisdom driven quite from me? Do I even know what I'm doing anymore? He had so tormented Job's mind that Job said, well, you know, maybe I just don't know anything. Maybe wisdom that I thought I had from God 
The wisdom that I had previous was, it's just gone from me. You can drive a man to his wit's end if you will just continue. Just keep harping on one string till the first thing you know. You know, they say if a person tells a lie long enough, they'll finally believe. Believe it to be true. And you know, you can just keep on and on and on and on until finally uh, your mind becomes confused. And that's why we need good instruction from God's Word so that we will not be confused and so that when... Uh, the devil comes along or even people come along and try to brainwash you in the wrong direction, you can be able to discern the truth and have the wisdom of God. That's what happens to some of these young people that get off in these various cults. They start brainwashing them. Now, you know that traditional church you're in, that Baptist church or Methodist church or Assembly of God or... uh, or uh, first Christian or whatever, you know that's not right. Now, look at this. We've got all the truth figured out over here and they'll lead you off into some cult denying the deity of Christ and some weird kind of a, a, a philosophy that's away from God and young people will fall apart and say, yeah, we've got the truth here because they lay it on them so often and so many times that they finally begin to believe it. S- uh, study the Word of God and and... Ground yourself in the Word of God and the Word of truth, and you'll not fall for all of these various things that come along. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The Bible says, Guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me unto glory. The Bible says, Order my steps in the Lord, and order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. So we need to stay close to God's Word and we'll have the wisdom and it will not be driven quite from us. Look at verse 13. Is not my help in me? In other words, I used to know what I was doing. And is wisdom driven quite from me? To him that is afflicted... Now look, this is what Job really wants. To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed, uh, showed from his friend. He was just wanting a little pity. He was disappointed with his friends... Because he longed for just a little sympathy instead of the stinging reproof that was brought upon him. He would like a little sympathy and kindness instead of all these accusations. I know a lot of people that would rather have just a little bit of consideration than to be accused of everything in the world. Especially if they're not guilty. You know, it's alright if I'm guilty of something, I want to know it and I'll confess it to God. But don't just be hammering on me and saying... Brother Joyce, this is what's wrong with you. This is what's wrong with you. I've got it figured out. I've had holiness preachers tell me certain things. I say, look, fella, the Bible says all have sinned come short of the glory of God. Job knew that he was not perfect, but he knew he wasn't guilty of all these things that these people were accusing him of, especially Eliphaz. And we get to Bildad and, and Zophar later. And Bildad uh, is the voice of... Uh, is the voice of uh, Tradition, and he tells him now about tradition. Traditionally, this happens to people. And then you get to Zophar, and he's the voice of, of legalism. He said, Job, now it's just this way, you know. Legalistic point of view. And then Job says, uh, To him that is afflicted, pity should be shown from his friend. And he says, and he, but, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom.